1: Belly on up, on up to the, the 9 foot. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, whoa. wait, wait. Hey. I'm back, Where the hell did buddy. you
0: come from? Yeah, I'm back. I, 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 I've got the raids again. You did a great job. I'm back, though. All right? You, you good? Uh,
1: fine. Let's get me a beer.
0: <laughs> Belly on up to the knife foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. My name is Chris. His name is Ed. For the next 30 minutes, it's Socks in the Basement for fans, by fans. It's all brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. If you go to their website, familydry.com, they have an incredible like you see all these websites ed where they have the uh, faq the frequently asked questions yep when i go on to theirs i can learn so much about things that are little problems that may be big problems may not be big problems i actually can get some knowledge before i even reach out and contact them to find out what i should do about an issue going on in my basement preventative measures or taking care of a problem after it has occurred. They are on the spot with great work at a great price. And remember, if you mention socks in the basement, you get money off. Visit them today at familydry.com or give them a call anytime you need them. 708-330-4466. All right, I'm back, I'm refreshed. I went to an island. I took a journey to the Outer Banks. I had never been there before. It's basically a series of very, very thin islands. Like, I, I, I made the joke, like, these look like those tiny little islands in a World War II movie where all it is is an airstrip, and they're just flying missions to hit other airstrips out in the South Pacific. Like, that's that's what it felt like when I was there. So
1: you're the Black Sheep Squadron. You're Pappy Boyington?
0: Yes, I think I actually said the name Pappy Boyington three times during my journey through the island. <laughs> Most people don't get that reference, Ed. I love that you, you know who the Black Sheep Squadron is. I get out there, and I realize you're basically on an island. It's, it's really cool. It's nothing but beach. And, and, and the big selling point that she made for me was, I'm tired of driving all the way down to Florida. It's such a long drive. Well, the thing with Florida is it's, just a, it's a straight shot. It's just interstates from Chicago all the way down to Florida. That's all it is. But when you try to go to the, the East Coast to the Outer Banks from Chicago, there is no straight shot. I took something along the lines of maybe 50 different roads at one point. <laughs> there were there were points where we were laughing, where the GPS is like, all right, you're going to take this road for a mile and a half, and then you're going to get on another road. And we get on the other road, it'd be like two miles from now, you're getting on this road. There is no straight shot. The The quickest route is basically weaving through the Appalachians on multiple roads. So in the end, I was in the car for the basically the exact amount of time that I, was, I would have been in the car if I went to Florida. It was a fun trip. But the whole idea that this was going to be less time in the car for me, complete and total fallacy. It's kind of like the White Sox extension of Lance Lynn.
1: What? <laughs> okay. That was the weirdest transition you could have had, you being in the car a long time and extending Lance Lynn.
0: No, 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 because I'm going to make a point here, because it, it, the idea that they're spending money because of that extension, the first thing I thought of, my cynical mind was, well, the right field budget was about 8 or 9000000 million, wasn't it? And we DFA'd Eaton, and if next year we're just going to throw somebody that's currently in our system out in right field and we don't intend to go out and spend money on right field next year, that's the extra money that pays for Lynn for the next couple of years, right? Like, that was the first thing that popped in my head. That's the cynic in me because I'm very cynical after this week because even though they signed him and even though this team is winning – I keep waiting for the. We didn't make any moves at the deadline because getting back all of our injured players is just like making moves, and uh, and and we're spending the money when in reality, when I do the balance sheet next year, it's going to be the same. Like that's the cynic in me. That's I, I couldn't even get that cynic out of me while I was drinking rum on a beach.
1: I think there's two things you're looking at though. Is is one you're right. I, I you're looking at Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets as being potential right fielders next year, depending on whether or not they ever lit. Aloy Jimenez grab another fielder's mitt in his lifetime. But the other thing is you, you have money that I'm sure they were going to spend on a starter next year because you're going to lose Rodon, you're going to lose Lynn otherwise, potentially to, to other teams, and you're going to have to either re-sign one of those guys or you're going to have to go out and sign another free agent pitcher because you really only have Michael Kopeck to take a spot there. So I think signing Lynn is actually going to potentially, I'm going to take a slight optimist view. I think getting the Lynn contract extension is going to save them money over trying to negotiate against, say, him returning to the Cardinals next year.
0: No, no, it's a great move. Please don't get me wrong here. It's an, it's an incredible move.
1: But I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to help remove the cynicism from you since you no longer have the rum in your hand.
0: Right, exactly. No, 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 no. I don't want people to get the wrong idea. It's a great move extending Lance Lynn at the prices they got Lance Lynn at and making sure that worst case scenario, you go into the off season with five starters because Kopek is one of your five and you have four returning and you can get into a bidding war for Rodan, but you don't have to worry about losing it. You have five starters. That's, that's a great thing. It's a, it's a, it's a perfect move. In fact, let's be honest. Rick Hahn should be the executive of the year. And it goes back to things that I talked about at the beginning of this season, even in, in the offseason, that he had a stringent budget, that he had to work within, and he's able to figure out exactly how to get the most out of his money. It, not everything worked out. Adam Eaton didn't work out. But in the long run, when you look at how this was put together and in the long run, when you look at the guys that came up from AAA who showed that we had more depth than any of us imagined that we had. All right? I mean, nobody imagined that we had guys that we could just plug in. We've had never, we never right. seen that before. Never. Never have I seen that in my entire life as a White Sox fan. The ability to go down and grab two, three, four guys from the minor leagues and just bring them up, and they just come up and perform. The Sheets, uh, Burger, Mercedes at the beginning of the year. These are things that we've never seen as White Sox fans. He deserves a ton of credit for doing all of that. But then I I look at the guy who signs the checks, and I know that that guy has told the guy who's making all these moves what the budget is. And that's where the cynicism was. Maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe they go out and they spend 30, 40 extra million dollars in the offseason now that people are back in the stands and they become a big boy team instead of a mid market team and how they spend their money.
1: Uh, Well, on the flip side of things, though, you think about those guys coming up, right? Um, Would you rather have Gavin Sheets as he's hitting right now or Eddie Rosario as he's currently playing for the Indians, or I think he's actually maybe even injured right now still. Would you rather have, you know, uh, the ability to bring up Jake Berger to fill in, or would you want them to have gone out and spent a bunch of money for a really expensive veteran backup second baseman like, say, Estrubula Cabrera, who signed for a lot of money, but isn't really all that useful as a starting player? Uh, you know, there's, there's I I think one of the one of the happy things that we should be having as Sox fans right now is this idea that if they do sit there and say at the trade deadline, well, look, we were looking for left-handed thunder, but Gavin Sheets is providing it. If you get some of that going on, I think it's still a shame because I think there's still holes to plug, but going into the off season, if they were to tell me we're going to roll the dice with a, an outfield rotation of Adam Engel, Gavin Sheets, Andrew Vaughn, Luis Robert, and yep, is going to be in the mix a little bit there too. And those five guys are going to make up our outfield. I don't know as a fan that I would sit there and be like, hey, Rick Hahn, go and spend $10 million a year for a couple of years on, on a, an expensive free agent.
0: That's fair. It, it's hard for me because I've been pre-programmed over the last, I don't know, four decades to be angry about the way that this team spends money. But you're right. I mean, they have, they have some solid players that are out there, and they're doing it with a mid-market budget, and they're, they're a good team i I've moved on from, are we a good team that makes the playoffs? Of course we are. We're a good team that should make the playoffs every year, the way that we're, we're built. Yeah. Can we win in a World Series? That's that's going to be the next step. Can we win a World Series? Can we win multiple World Series? Are we going to be the kind of team that's structured as, hey, let's just get in there and then have a puncher's chance? Or are we going to be the team that walks in there and says, we're the best. We have the most talent. We've got the su- the superstars. We went out and we spent the money. I don't know what the answer is. But I, 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 you know, I just wanted to bring up my, my little bit of cynicism because I've got a whole list of things. In fact, I've got a ton of things over the last week that I didn't get to talk about. Socks in the Basement listeners, do the hard work. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So, why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today.
1: You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. What else were you cynical about while you were sitting on a beach and the rest of us were, uh, were, were trying to make sense and heads and tails right. and stuff?
0: Yeah, I see. I'm a, I'm a terrible human being. Like I, somehow I found things to be worried about or to talk about. There are things I was happy about
1: you're you're happy about lance lynn right you're happy about the lance lynn extension
0: i'm happy about the lance lynn extension i think the lance lynn extension's great i i want to go back real quick and just kind of a, and reference the last show on socks and and everywhere podcasts can be found that you did where you sat down, and you talk with Don Paul. There was some really interesting stuff in there, talking about how you can't take your foot off the gas, and he talks about some of the pitfalls when you're in a in a pennant chase. And remember, he's been in several of them on several teams, and he brings up some some good and some bad that can happen and things to watch for and things to be excited about. And I thought it was a very informative interview.
1: Yeah, he he did a great job of explaining what goes through a player's head going into the second half here. It's it's definitely worth if you haven't listened to it, definitely go and listen just for him. Not for me, but for him. He
0: brings up the interesting point after you asked the question, does it make it easier on a guy when he's not worried about his contract? And he throws this line in where he says – well, you know, I've seen some guys that after they get their money, actually don't play so well in the second half of the season, even if it is a pennant race. Which, first of all, I was like, I wonder who he's talking about in his career who did that.
1: Oh, I know. Ten years, you got to go back and look at some of those teams, and I'm sure we can probably figure it out.
0: You know, I was like, I was like, I wonder who he's talking about there. And that was the first thing that piqued my interest when I was listening to it. But the other thing is, the moment he said that, I was like, I don't see that, Lance Lynn.
1: And I don't think he doesn't either. I don't think. I don't think he was thinking them.
0: Yeah, he goes. He goes to Milwaukee. And he basically stops the bleeding and stops you from getting swept. And he not only does it with his arm, but he does it with his bat. I mean, he's a gamer. Right.
1: He's a one-man wrecking crew. And he makes Brandon Woodruff stand on the mound and look and go like, I want to be that man.
0: He's the guy I want to have the ball game one every postseason series.
1: Isn't that the consensus at this point with Lance Lynn? He's, He's the number one.
0: Well, I would hope so. I think there's some people that still want to say Rodon because they're big fans of him and they watched him come up through the system. So there are fans that think Rodon. There are fans that think Giolito because you were you're kind of conditioned to believe that he was your ace and everybody else is supposed to fill in behind him. But in my mind, it's Lynn. Lynn's your guy, game one. I think he's in Tony's mind that way too. I
1: well, I, I guarantee you in Tony's mind he is. I could, I could see you make a case for Rodon if you needed to line up. Like if there was a play-in game or something that the Sox somehow... Back their way into. I could see you going, you know, well, we'll put Lynn in the playing game and then Rodon can open up the series. But, yeah, but it's not going uh, to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen.
0: All right, let me run through my list of things. Let me just give my thoughts on some things that I had during the last week that I wanted to make sure I I talked about. First off, your mean Mercedes and that whole thing. Oh, my all God. All right, I'm sitting there and I'm reading about it where he just like, he basically, he's leaving, he's back, and then the bad takes nationally uh, and on Twitter from people saying it's all because Tony LaRusso with the 3-0 pitch thing. I, I'm so sick of reading that stuff. People made me agree with Chuck Garfine on that. Ouch. And that hasn't happened in forever. I was say you and Chuck don't agree on much. <laughs> and I'm watching him on, on the show, on uh, the post game talking about that isn't the reason why your mean Mercedes fell off. That isn't the reason why your mean Mercedes is leaving baseball. That's a terrible take. And I'm like, you're right, Chuck. It is a terrible take. What we're going to run into, and we saw it again on Sunday night during Sunday night baseball, we are now going to run into because we are a good team. Bad takes from people who don't really follow the team. A lot of national people, a lot of Twitter personalities, a lot of people that are trying to get eyes on their product and clicks, making really bad takes about this team when they don't know anything about this team. I was so frustrated, and this gets me to my next point, about Sunday Night Baseball and the post-game interview of Tim Anderson We're the talking head from ESPN, and trust me, I don't know the names of any of these guys anymore on ESPN because I don't watch ESPN because if you're not an East Coast or West Coast person, it's not for me, and I've given up on watching them. I don't watch them for for highlights. I'd rather go online and look for it. I've sworn them off now for years, but I'm watching this game, and here's the talking head from ESPN, and you could tell he's trying to get to something his producer probably told him about how Tim likes to eat spaghetti. Or his wife makes him spaghetti when he hits a home run. But he didn't hit a home run, and he's forgotten his notes while he's on there. So you just ask him, what's your favorite food to eat? And I'm, I just start yelling at the TV. I'm like, what are you going to ask him next? What's his favorite color? <laughs> what did he want to be when he grew up? Like what?" And then he goes, what's it like living in Alabama? What? How much does this guy get paid? We are going to watch some of the worst uninformed interviews and worst uninformed takes on our team that we have seen. Since well back in 2005 where I actually pulled a book off of a shelf where somebody tried to talk about what happened in Game 4 and had Scott Potsednik scoring the final run instead of Willie Harris because the guy never watched the game. There were things like that floating around in 05 where writers tried to cover this team without any knowledge of the team, and we are going to watch it now. And as long as we are good, that's how it's going to be because in the end, they're always going to be rooting against us. We faced the Red Sox in the postseason – You can expect the national announcers to sound like the home team announcers for the Boston Red Sox. We all know this. Those of us that are older who went through it the last time the White Sox were good, who went through it in that 05 run. Those that are younger may not remember it, but I mean, they were openly rooting for their teams on these national broadcasts. It'll be the exact same way. So guess what? The all-star game is over. The White Sox are well up in first place and are assumed to be a playoff shoe in at this point. So now they have to pay attention. Get ready for bad takes on a daily basis about this team. You're going to have these local Chicago broadcasters who never talk about the White Sox all of a sudden trying to tell you they know something about this team. You're going to have the DJ, some DJ on the mix on 101.9, is going to be trying to make comments about the game in between playing two songs on the radio. That's how stupid this is going to get right now, especially with the Cubs tearing down. It's going to be mind-boggling how bad the takes become and, and the coverage becomes about this team. And you, as fans, we just have to weed through it and remember who was there beforehand and who just showed up. Because <laughs> it's going to be bad.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I, if you remember, if you... Heck, if you can go find... Highlights of the 2005 division series against the Red Sox. Listen, especially as the Sox are preparing to win that series, listen to how Chris Berman chokes up talking about what great fighting champions the Red Sox were. They had won it once at that point in a 100 and some odd years. They were just like the Cubs. It was, I mean, you know, the, the curse had ended and all that stuff. But, gosh, you got so wistful as though you were watching, you know, the, the last... Fight of Muhammad Ali or something. We're all sitting there going, "Man, just remember the greatness and the good times, and not, <laughs> you know, not this aging slugger." We gotta and get out like, of this.
0: We g- gotta yes. get out of this. He
1: was yelling it during one of the
0: innings. We gotta get out of this. When Damon strikes out with the bases loaded at the El Duque inning, he's like, "No!" And it, like it's nonstop video of like Ben Affleck crying
1: with Jennifer His Gardner. call <laughs> on graffinino's error in that series, the one that that the it cost. A, Oh no. <laughs> I mean, it, he yelled that into the microphone. It's like it was you glorious. know, it, where most announcers would be like, and Graffin,ino, oh, he boots it, you know, I mean, or something like that it, No. It, but yeah, no. you're right. the bad takes are gonna happen. And the your mean thing was funny because it brought open that old wound of did he lose confidence after Tony? didn't back him up publicly for it after he went on and said, I'm your mean and I get, I, I just got to be your mean. And Tony initially was like, well, you know, we'll handle it in-house. And he's like, nah, wasn't a good move. Now, look, it's possible if the guy did lose some confidence somewhere along the line there that he goes down to AAA, he's hitting, he knows he's not coming back up because Aloy's back, that covers the DH spot, he's not doing a good job behind the plate, Sebi Zavala gets the call instead of him. I could see where he could have a crisis of confidence and think, you know what, maybe I ought to be done. But that's fine. To sit there and say it's all Tony LaRusso's fault that this guy momentarily retired is insane.
0: And, and listen, your mean Mercedes was a really nice story that I think some of us kind of felt like, when, especially when you put his name in the side of his head and was do, was more interested in his Ooh, pregame yeah, ritual at the ballpark than when than actually like what he was doing at the plate. And but the, but the big thing and the big point, and I've seen this many times sent out, so I wasn't going to bring it up. But I, I, it's the perfect conclusion of this conversation about your mean is that he hit with the same stats. His stats are almost mirroring what he was doing the two weeks leading into the incident with Larusa for the next two weeks. The drop off. That it, he had already started a drop off, but then he basically hit about the same rate. All of his stats line up for two weeks after that incident with the two weeks leading into that incident. Then he falls off a cliff. He didn't fall off a cliff right away. So, and, and guess what? There's a reason why he was 29 years old and he was still in the minor leagues. He's a guy who hits, that's what he does. He doesn't play defense very well. It turns out he couldn't make adjustments. We talked about the hitches in his swing, the fact that some pitchers were figuring out that if they delayed their approach or just changed up the timing of their delivery, he was thrown off completely. Anybody watching the game sees this, but again, you're going to get bad takes from people who didn't actually watch the game. All right, before I get into the rest of the list, and I'm running out of time here because every time I say something, Ed's like... Yeah, I've been waiting to talk to you about this, too. This is what happens when we don't see each other. Next time, bring me to the beach. You would have had fun with me at that beach. You would have had a blast. There was this one place where the only way you can get to it is on a ferry. So I put, like, the, the, the whole family. I drove the car onto a ferry and went to a different island. And there was a brewery on the island. Like, I I, would, I never wanted to leave. Huh. There was, like, it was seafood and, and and a brewery. Like, on I think it's called Okra Coke Island. The 1718 Brewery. I, I, they had to drag me out of the place. I was like, I, just leave me here for the next three days. I'll sleep under a table. I found everything I want. I'm on an island you can't reach by a road, and there's an actual brewery here that I'm sitting at drinking at, and it's nothing but seafood like that they're catching right here, and they have a seafood market next to it. Now, when I'm here in Chicago... One of the places I like to hang out that I can spend an awful lot of time in is Cork and Cary. Cork and Carry at the park and Cork and Carry in Beverly. Beverly's closer to the house at 10614 Southwestern Avenue. A huge array of beers on tap, a full bar, and it is your classic Irish pub. You can't drag me out of there during the high holiday in March. It's one of those spots that you could see me firmly planted on a bar stool, drinking a Guinness and enjoying the the atmosphere. But in the summer, it's also great because they have that great outdoor patio. They have the the big screen TVs all over the place. It's a great spot to watch a White Sox game. You can also rent out one of their many rooms to have a party. They will set you up with a great location, one zero six one four Southwestern Avenue get more at cork All right. I want to get through this list before we run out. These are things that I observed over the last week that I wanted to make sure that I brought up. Um, there was a lot of complaining about lines about trying to get in the ballparks that I saw on white Sox Twitter over the last week.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I, I went while you were gone and uh, we got in the park early, an hour before game time Um you know, but by, yeah, I would say the third or fourth inning, it was, you know, the the, the beer lines were long, the food lines were long, and you know, people were trickling into the park, and, and what we heard, there was a fourth with the, the guys that I was with, and uh, he got there just before game time, and it took him that long, you know, took him a couple of innings to actually get in the park and, and come up and find us. So, one, if you're a fan, everybody everywhere is short-staffed, just, just look around, you know, and, and go places, and you'll see... Help wanted, we're hiring it's it's on pretty much every business I've been to in in the Chicago area I haven't I haven't really left town. you know on the other hand too, hey Jerry, you have an opportunity here to really make this ballpark experience great by throwing some money at not the field but at the you know the park staff and everything like that too and really give us you know and give yourself an opportunity to make a lot more money so pay over scale if you need to, but you know let's let's get let's get the park running.
0: They've got to entice people to come in there and work. Even here in my neighborhood in Evergreen Park, there's there's a couple of restaurants now who are resorting to hiring like high school kids to at least like seat people so they can move the seater into into a waitress position. Like everybody's trying to come up with ways to actually run their business. There's just... There's not as much staff or willing people that want to go out and actually work, which is crazy. So what you have to do then is find a way to entice people to come in, or you have to sit down and those people that you pay a lot of money to run your ballpark have to come up with an outside the box way of figuring out how to make it work better. Because if you make the ballpark experience miserable, you'll actually end up with less people spending money inside of your ballpark. You want to get all those dollars, right? Like you want me in a sixth inning to be like, I'm going to get another round, You don't want me sitting there saying I'm not standing in that line for an hour. And then you're not getting my money.
1: I got the answer. I got the
0: answer. What is it? Beer vending machines. Just just vending machines where you can just hit the thing and the can comes rolling out? Like they can do that. There you go. We just came up with a million dollar idea for Jerry Reinsdorf. Somebody else will take credit for it, but if they're listening to socks and Basement right now and you're in the White Sox organization, it's time for you to run up to the office and find the person that uh, makes decisions that is higher than you and explain to them that you just came up with this brilliant idea that you should have vending machines that disperse beer.
1: And then go to Soxinthebasement.com and give us the code to get it for free. And and you just have
0: to have some of your security hang near them And if they see somebody that looks like they're not of age, it's their responsibility to card them before they use the beer vending machine. Because You would have to have somebody be able to do it. I'm sure there's all kinds of laws that we're breaking right here, and this is impossible. But I still think it's a brilliant idea. Uh, Some other things that I want to talk about that are on my list. I want to talk about the Adam Frazier deal because I think a lot of White Sox fans are confused as to why we didn't get Adam Frazier. And I just want to say this very simply. We didn't have a shortstop like that guy. Right. What was given up by the Padres was exactly what the Pirates have been trying to get. They have been clamoring for middle infield, high ceiling athletic guys who could hit the ball and get on base. And that's what they've been trying to go and add into their system. If you look at their top 10 prospects on MLB Pipeline, I think they have four or five of the slots now, including the guy that they acquired from the Padres are those type of guys, shortstops that could be moved to second base or the outfield that hit that are athletic because they're in the middle of a rebuild. We did not have that for them. That's why the asking price for us was probably something much higher because we didn't have what they were looking for. Plus, Ben Charrington in Pittsburgh, and remember, Socks in the Basement is part of the broadcast basement on-demand radio network, and there is another show on that network called Bucks in the Basement that covers the Pirates. And Craig Toth, who is the lead guy on that show, and I had a conversation last night about this, and his take on this and the people he's talking to is that Charrington wanted this guy back during the Musgrove deal with the Padres, and he couldn't get it done. So the moment he was able to get the Padres to agree to throw this guy into the deal, at that point, you were going to have to overpay because he has been enamored with this guy out in San Diego. So that's why that deal happened. We didn't get, the, we didn't get Adam Frazier. You, you st- I still think you need to go out and find yourself a second baseman. I think if you go into this trade deadline, and we put a, we put a thing up on White Sox Twitter – Asking people very simply, if the White Sox made no trades prior to the deadline, how would you feel? 10% of people, one out of 10, said that getting Aloy, Yaz, and Luis Robert back is enough. They're perfectly happy with not not getting a deal. All right. Of the other nine out of 10, 43% would be upset, but not worried because they feel confident in the team. 47% would be furiously filled with rage. <laughs> <laughs> that's the third option. Furiously filled with rage. Where do you sit on it? Because I feel like if you do nothing, and maybe I'm in between upset, not worried, and furiously filled with rage, but I'm upset about it because I don't think you're going to win a pennant, let alone a World Series, if you don't fix second base.
1: Right, and that's where I'm at with it, is, is that I would be furiously filled with rage if they come out of the deadline, and did not address second base because Larry Garcia and Danny Mendick are not going to get it done. They are not getting it done. That part I would be upset about. You know, I'm not one of the brigade, though, that's in there going, they better trade for the Cubs for Craig Kimbrell because I don't think you need a closer, and I don't think you need to overpay for that. But they need – they have a hole at second base. Honestly, the DH and outfield positions, since Robert and Aloy are coming back sooner than I think what we were worried they would come back – They, that part is filled. I don't think you necessarily need to go and break the bank to get another catcher. I think Zach Collins is doing fine in in Yaz's absence, but yeah, that that second base hole that's sitting there, that is everybody and anybody, even the bad take people on the national level should be able to see that the Sox have a hole at second. They need to do something there. I would be furious with Rakan if he doesn't. And, and I would be, I think, upset but not worried if he doesn't do something along the lines of adding a bullpen arm i I, you know that part i would be upset but i don't think i would be sitting here you know spitting at this you know at the uh picture of rick khan i keep above my desk all right
0: so now i'm going to adjust the question just slightly if the white Sox, in making a trade for a second baseman traded andrew vaughn would you be furiously
1: filled with rage who's the second baseman
0: like it'd be like, if it was like Trevor story, you'd be like, okay. I mean, he's a rental though.
1: No, not Trevor story, not a rental. But if you tell me that they swing some sort of a blockbuster involving Andrew Vaughn for Ozzy Albies from the, the Braves. Yeah. I would say that I would say that's a situation like that, where you're getting back a guy who's going to be a benchmark player for you that you expect Vaughn to be sure. You know, that, that might just be hole for hole.
0: But where does Albies play when Madrigal comes back? Because I like my Madrigal and I don't really need a fix after this year at second base.
1: In a trade like that, you're presumably sending back, you know, magical as part of that. And then you're getting something else back for Vaughn and and there's moving parts there, but I don't see that that happening. But yeah, if, if they send Andrew Vaughn to the Rockies to rent Trevor Story, to have him play out of position away from Coors Field for half a season, I think that that would be a bad, bad move on the White Sox part. I would be upset with that one.
0: Yeah, I don't like the idea that people keep suggesting, like, you know, that Andrew Vaughn could be tradable. I think this team has a chance to win a World Series, but that's the one I would I would be crushed if they did that. And I don't think the White Sox are gonna do something like that. It is interesting what you say though, that if you were going to move him, you'd be moving him and Mandrigal for a guy like Ozzie Albies and something else because and everybody would be locked into contracts for the next couple of years. You would have to find a team that was thinking more about not only this year, but the future and said, yeah, I'll trade a couple players for a couple players. It was a massive blockbuster. I don't think the Sox are going to do that, but that's the only scenario where I would sit there and say, all right, yeah, you can move an Andrew Vaughn. Otherwise, it should be completely and totally untouchable, just like Michael Kopech, I think, should be untouchable. And then that goes back to can Rick Hahn make a deal with so many untouchable guys. Like, what What does he have that he's able to move, and what are people interested in? I mean, I think Jake Berger coming up, even though he just got sent down because he can't play second base, and so Danny Mendick is there just because of the fact that he can, he's competent standing at second base if needed. You know, otherwise, Jake Berger stays up the way he's hitting. There's a guy who you would make a deal, I think, at this point, as much as I have enjoyed watching him hit, where you would sit there and say, I will move a Berger for a guy who is a rental for this year because I want to win a World Series. It might hurt me later on, but I'd be okay with that.
1: I have one that is now my personal, my my the one I would like to bang the drum on, which is as the Nationals have fallen off, I would like to see Jake Berger as the headliner in a trade for Josh Harrison, who is still capable of playing second base. They have a hole at third base in Washington that they've been trying to fill, so Berger fills that, and they also have some bullpen parts. They have guys like Brad Hand who might – still be serviceable in a setup role, or Daniel Hudson, you know, come bring him on back. There's parts there. You don't have to trade for Max Scherzer, but there's parts there. Harrison's been playing very well. He would be a perfect second-base rental. And you could probably, with another prospect or so, pull some of that bullpen help that you need in that one trade. And, yeah, it would cost you Jake Berger, but how often are you going to be worried that Jake Berger is going to come back and bite you playing for the Washington Nationals? He is a guy, I know you don't like when I say that guys are blocked here, but really, Jake Berger is blocked by Yohan Mankata. He is not going to be, I don't think he's going to be better than Mankata.
0: And listen, and the thing with Harrison, that's a great call. I mean, God, that'd be a, that'd be a great pickup if you could if you could swing something with a Nationals franchise and, and pick up a Josh Harrison. Because, well, first of all, he's got an OPS plus of 115. So you're getting you're getting a guy who's going to be a positive impact player for you who plays second base. And that is a that is a great call right there on him. And that's that's the team that they should be knocking on the door of here in the next couple of days. But then when you look at his splits, he is better against lefties hitting 284 with an OPS of 837. But against righties, very competent hitting 282 and with an OPS of of 741 he's an upgrade for you at the position he is somebody you can just sit there and say he's going out there every single day I've never heard anything really bad about him that makes me feel like he's going to come in here and be a problem in your clubhouse yeah and and that's the package you got to try to put together you, you you put a burger in there and you try to you try to work a couple other prospects in and you trade for Josh Harrison i'd be knocking on that door we got to get the phone number over there at the nationals and try to broker this deal
1: somebody get me mike Rizzo <laughs> cuz rick Hahn won't talk to us socks in the basement socks in the basement